Election College, Episode 145, The President's Cabinet, Part 1. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for Election College, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. Hey, Jason, um, the president's cabinet. Should I go for the really simple pun or not? It's that thing, you know, like in the president's little kitchen, they have their own little apartment. Yeah. Yeah, the cabinet in there. Yeah, it's usually found in their kitchen. Right. And, uh, you know, sometimes you can find it and. I just want to like pause. I just want to pause for a minute and apologize to all of our listeners that not only did I have such a terrible pun, I also questioned it out loud, and then I still did it. It's like a double whammy. Yeah, it's pretty bad. Okay, so anyway, the president's cabinet. Uh, we all know it's not actually something in the kitchen, although that would be easy to confuse. Uh, the cabinet is, you know, they're they're kind of inner circle, the people the president relies on to help get stuff done in the country. Yeah, so for all of you word nerds like me, uh, the word cabinet comes from a 17th century word that describes a room where advisors would meet. So, you know, if you were to say council of advisors, you're pretty much saying cabinet. It's easier to say cabinet. Yeah, it it is. And if you're wondering, where the heck does the president get off thinking they're allowed to have... uh, advisors and stuff yeah anyway yeah well article 2 section 2 clause 1 says that the president can have a principal officer in each of the executive departments and then later on in the constitution it also says they can have heads of departments and then later on again it says they can have principal officers of the executive departments. so it doesn't actually say the words cabinet in the constitution but We'll get to that here in a couple minutes. All right. So the cabinet currently is comprised of 16 people. So you have the vice president and you have 15 executive departments that are represented. I'm not going to list off all 15 of those because, well, we're going to get into that. And that's the reason this is a two-parter. Right. So the vice president, we're familiar with that age-old tradition of the vice president being first in line to be the president should something happen to them. So, uh, you know, whether they're incapacitated or uh, what should pass away or something to that effect, which has happened, of course, in our history many times, uh, the vice president, you're next. And then right after that, third in line, the Speaker of the House. Yeah. And then the president pro tem, and then we get into the cabinet. And uh, yeah, before we start talking about the big four. That's uh-huh. what we'll be talking about this episode. Let's uh, go back in history a little bit, shall we? All right. I like that. So Washington, you know, remember him? George. Yeah. Yep. George. He had a cabinet that was only four people. And most of these names you're going to know. But the first secretary of state was Thomas Jefferson. Alexander Hamilton, you know, the Wizard of Oz. Uh-huh. He was the secretary of treasury because, well... Because he was. Yeah. Because <laughs> of the wonderful things he does. <laughs> exactly. And uh, he did some wonderful things with money, depending on, well, how you feel about debt 
and right. so on. But then you have the Secretary of War, who was Henry Knox, and the first Attorney General was Edmund Randolph. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, Washington, I think, kind of understood when he was the president, he was the first president, he kind of got the fact that the way that I interact with my cabinet or whatever he called them, and the way that they interact with me is really going to set the precedent for, you know, the country in general. And so he realizes, yeah, it's important that I choose these cabinet members that are diverse and able to appeal to various different regions of the United States. And James Madison is like, hey, um, George, maybe you should call these group of ruffians here that we have the president's cabinet. And it stuck. Man, that Madison... He's underrated sometimes. He is. So uh, he was quiet. That's why. I yeah. Mean, he didn't. He didn't really get anybody's face. So nobody really had much to say about him. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know who would be a little bitter about the whole thing? I bet he's a pudgy man. <laughs> he is a pudgy man. Uh, his rotundity. Yeah. John Adams. You remember him? I do. So he served as vice president, and well, I don't know, Ben. Do you think that? he did this out of his own volition or do you think it was just like Washington was like, I don't want you around, but (laughs) he didn't attend the cabinet meetings. And you'll remember the famous Adams quote about the vice presidency as quote, the most insignificant office that ever the invention of man contrived or his imagination conceived. Yeah. And you, you have to almost think that Adams wasn't just like being bitter about things as much as it was probably really true because I mean, I'm sure the vice president has some certainly important duties, but really like the reason you have a job is just in case someone else dies. Like, yeah, that's, that's, that's your point. And as you can imagine, this first cabinet was probably pretty spirited. Well, I shouldn't say probably we know it was pretty spirited uh some historic and famous battles between jefferson and hamilton um you know hamilton wants to form the national bank take on a bunch of the the state's debts and consolidate them and everything and jefferson doesn't and jefferson's you know small government hamilton's big government you can just imagine there were some already huge personalities coming together in that room yeah for some reason music is entering my head (laughs) something like uh i like to be in that room where cabinet meetings happened yeah just to just to hear what everybody so so uh let's skip ahead just a little bit because we're gonna just do a little overview of some famous cabinets yeah not not the boring ones just the popular ones <laughs> yeah and if you have listened to our episode about the eaton or petticoat affair if you haven't heard that one please just stop the recording right now and go back to that episode it's yeah i don't know what number well it's good that's all you need it's a good one yeah google it you'll find it listen to all of them until you find it (laughs) exactly but anyway what happens with the eaton affair is well everyone gets cleaned out almost except for marty marty van buren (laughs) but he does quit kind of so he can well be closer to andy jack right but what ends up happening is there is no official cabinet yeah kind of sort of and you have the kitchen cabinet. Right. Yeah. So Jefferson's got this group of guys he depends upon. And, you know, you have to keep in mind his original cabinet wasn't really all that bad if history tells its story. Um, you know, you've got Vice President John C. Calhoun and 
his wife is actually the reason everything kind of broke apart. You can call her Yoko if you want. And <laughs> uh, Calhoun leaves a little bit later in 1831. And then Van Buren's like, hey, I guess I'm going to be the vice president in 1832. And uh, Jackson's kitchen cabinet was an interesting uh, time in history. Right. So pretty much what Andy Jack does is say, uh, I don't really like what the constitution says i'm going to do my own thing i think that was kind of his normal mode of operation though sometimes yeah (laughs) like it or not yeah so let's skip ahead a little bit to the 1860s where you have one of the most famous cabinets well it was lincoln's cabinet and you remember lincoln he was a politician's politician he wanted to make sure he united the the rivals of his party so that's exactly what he did Yeah, and remember that 1860 is this crazy election, and the Republican Party is brand new. If you remember, Lincoln is actually the first Republican president, uh, formerly had been a Whig, and the Republican Party has just like started coming out of nowhere and forming, and there's all these factions. So Lincoln, like Jason said, just wants to have all these rivals of different political persuasions coming together in the same room granted still with the same goals but probably lots of different personalities so from the get-go there's a lot of people who were chosen to serve in the cabinet and some of them were like okay i know why you picked me obviously but why'd you pick that guy over there yeah that would <laughs> never happen today no would it? no i don't think not, that's possible. not today no nobody would uh, ever possibly question the um, the president's decisions. Yeah, and there was a quote from a New York politician named uh, Chancey Depew. He said that, quote, no president ever had a cabinet of which the members were so independent, had so large individual followings, and were so inharmonious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, it's funny because if you read commentaries now and some listen to the historians, which who knows if they're right or not, but uh, a lot of them say Lincoln, um, he had all these cabinet members, but he probably wasn't going to listen to them anyway. He was probably just going to kind of do what he thought was right. Uh, it's interesting, though, because if you remember Hannibal Hamlin, and if you don't remember Hannibal Hamlin, go back and listen to our episode about Hannibal Hamlin. Uh, he had a big role. I mean, he was the vice president. He had a big role in helping select the cabinet members and helping Lincoln pick them out. But as far as his job in Lincoln's administration, pretty much non-existent. And of course, he um, you know, goes to off to the fight and uh, comes back and uh, Lincoln ends up kicking him out of his <laughs> of his uh, administration, and Lincoln replaces him with the Southern Democrat Andrew Johnson. Yeah. So all the while that's going on, Mrs. Lincoln is over there saying, "I don't like any of these guys." <laughs> so <laughs> they all look at me funny oh, when well. I go to water the plants. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Remember Ben a while back when I said the only thing I learned in high school history. And I don't know if any of my history teachers listen to the podcast, but seriously, the only thing I learned in high school history class was the vice president is the president of the Senate. And yes, as Ben said earlier, they are the first in in line for succession to the presidency. And yeah, they preside over joint sessions of Congress yeah. when it's time for the electoral college to meet. So really, the vice president... He or she needs to show up when there's a 
a need to break a tie. Right. And, well, when the Electoral College gets together, that's actually the only reason the vice president's office exists <laughs> is because of the Electoral College when you think about it. Well, and also if the president dies. Yeah, but that wouldn't happen. That probably would never happen, though. Um, also, the only time that the president of the Senate doesn't vote or doesn't preside is if there's an impeachment of a sitting president, because obviously it would be kind of a conflict of interest, I guess you could say. I guess everybody would have a conflict of interest. But at that point, the chief justice of the United States Supreme Court presides over the trial. Yeah. So you ready to talk about the big four? The big four. The Secretary of the Treasury, the Secretary of State, the Attorney General, and the Secretary of Defense. And those are, I mean, kind of the the big four and also like some of the original four. Yeah. So the Secretary of State, we've all heard what that position is, right? Yep. So we're done with that one. Yeah, that's it. I don't know. I've seen the Secretary of State's signature on my passport. Yeah. And um, they are. Anything having to do with foreign affairs, the Secretary of State is pretty important. They supervise the Department of State and the U.S. Foreign Service. Yeah, and of course, they're going to advise the president, at least be the chief advisor for the president on any kind of foreign affairs. And, you know, this would include things like if there's a diplomat that needs appointed um, or if there's a, um, you know, someone who's resigning, whether they want to accept that or reject it or fire or hire or whatever. Um, If there is a negotiation going on with another country, if there's a treaty going on or something like that, um, they can be heavily involved in those things. Yeah. So if there's any crazy activity going on in any nations where there's unrest. That would never happen. No way. The Secretary of State is going to advise U.S. citizens who are in that country to get out and maybe even provide some helpful information on how they can. Yeah. They're also in charge, like Jason uh, said a minute ago, you know, things like passports and visas. They're really in charge of getting out information and services to those people. Of course, now they have tons of people underneath them that do those kinds of things and they just kind of preside over them. But, you know, any kind of credentials that people need. And then, of course, if um, the, the government needs to give any kind of protections to American citizens, if they are, um, you know, if they have property or if we have interest in other countries, Secretary of State also does that. Of course, there's, you know, U.S. immigration policies. Uh, there are issues uh, regarding the um, different foreign policies that we have between our Congress and our citizens and stuff like that. But Secretary of State, man, they're pretty important. They are. As a matter of fact, they're so important that if you are a president or a vice president and you're going to submit your resignation, yep. that's the person who you submit your resignation to pretty crazy and then they don't even get to take your job <laughs> oh yeah a lot has to happen in order for that yeah uh, but in the early part of our country uh-huh. really up until well around the civil war the secretary of state was considered as like that's the training ground that's yeah. where if you're secretary of state there's a really good chance that you might perhaps become the president what was that like four or five of them right off the bat yeah there's been six former secretaries of state that have served as president and you got it from the get-go you got jefferson and madison and monroe and our friend jqa john uh-huh. quincy adams yep and then uh marty mm-hmm. buchanan yeah yeah and so they're actually the normally uh the fourth in line for the presidential succession so you really 
hope <laughs> that you're never going to get that far down um, that that many people have gone. So the Secretary of State position is super important as a training ground for the president, but you really have to hope that they never actually get there by any other means, but on purpose. So on to the Secretary of the Treasury. Well, they're, of course, in charge of the U.S. Department of the Treasury. Yeah. And uh, they have a lot to do with anything that's happening with uh, the finances and the money system of our country. I said money system instead of monetary system, just to just to be casual. I, I appreciate that, just to throw me off a little bit, I guess. The Secretary of the Treasury uh, is the you know the number one economic advisor to the president. And really, if there's any policies that need made or anything for economic and government financial policies, uh, they're the ones who bring those about and at least bring them to the forefront to be you know major decisions made on them. Used to, there was a actually a law enforcement aspect. Uh, to the Treasury Department, so uh, you know the, the Customs Service would fall under this. The uh, the ATF, the the Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms, and Explosives uh, would fall under it. The Secret Service, uh, but they're no longer under that. They're under the Homeland Security uh, Department now, as of uh, about 2003. So the next cabinet position is the Secretary of Defense, and they, of course, are the leader and chief executive officer of the Department of Defense. Right. So basically they have power over the United States military. And, you know, if you're not the president and you want to have charge of the the, uh, the military, you need to be the secretary of defense because they're second in charge. And the secretary of defense is basically, you know, they're the chain of command that has a lot of command and control over everything. They're uh, big in operational and administrative types of deals for uh, for the military. Um, if you get an order from the Secretary of Defense that doesn't directly contradict the orders of the president, you probably should listen to them, basically. Uh, if, uh, if you're in the <laughs> Army, Marine Corps, Navy, or Air Force, and sometimes the Coast Guard, you definitely should be listening to the Secretary of Defense. Yeah, it's kind of interesting about the Coast Guard, and we'll get into this in the next episode where we talk about some of the other departments. Where in 2003, there were a lot of changes that happened with the creation of the Department of Homeland Security. But just know that ultimately the Secretary of Defense is extremely influential in what happens when we need them. A little bit about the Secretary of Defense and the Department of Defense, because this is a pretty recent development. Uh I think it was about the 1940s that this was created. The precursor to the Secretary of Defense was a lot of different things, (laughs) and it was all brought under, and essentially what happened is you had the Secretary of War, that department got separated into the Secretary of the Army and the Secretary of the Navy, and so on. Well, there was still this cabinet position, this top-level cabinet position, so with the Secretary of War being no longer the Secretary of Defense filled that spot. Right. And so then in 1947, the National Security Act of 1947, go figure, uh, was passed, and the Secretary of War gets replaced by the Secretary of the Army and the Secretary of the Air Force and the Secretary of the Navy. And then in 1949, all those cabinet positions fell under the Secretary of Defense. So it's the same. We're still protected, (laughs) but it is different. It's the same exact... Totally different. Yeah, yep. you are safe. Right, mostly. Next up is the Attorney General. You might know them better as the AG or 
something entirely different. <laughs> uh, they're basically the head of the Department of Justice. So, you know, any kind of legal affairs, the chief law enforcement officer, uh, the chief lawyer of the United States government, that's the attorney general. And Jason, interesting point about the attorney general. They're the only one that don't have the title of secretary. Yeah, but I mean, would you rather be a secretary or a general? I think a general, for sure. Yeah. yeah. And, I mean, throw attorney in front of that. You I mean, probably don't get a lot of the jokes. Nothing wrong with, yeah, I mean, nothing wrong with secretary, but come on, general. Yeah. <laughs> That's a cool name. I mean, we have a lot of secretaries and a lot of generals and a lot of attorneys who listen to the podcast. That's very so true. Whoops. No offense to anyone. I wonder that. if we have any heads of state that listen to the podcast. I would be very interested in yeah, knowing that. that would be cool. Anyway, uh, the office of the attorney general uh, gets established by Congress back in 1789 there was the judiciary act and you know the original duties of the position were uh things like quote to prosecute and conduct all suits in the supreme court in which the united states shall be concerned and to give his advice and opinion upon questions of law when required by the president of the united states etc etc sounds like you read that one <laughs> i did read that one i said quote didn't you hear me come on oh, yeah. uh <laughs> i memorize all of the times that i say quote you don't come on that's a lie. I don't. So the attorney general is kind of a big deal. Yeah. And you know what else is a big deal, Ben? What's that? Well, Christmas time is here. I oh, mean, man. Lights are up everywhere. We're actually in Washington, D.C. this week. We are right now, actually. And kind of. Well, we're a block away from yeah. D.C. And <laughs> we're seeing all kinds of Christmas lights, Christmas trees, holiday trees, if you want to call them that. Sure. And that makes me think of couple people we talked about in this episode one in particular andy jack we have an andrew jackson ugly christmas sweater t-shirt that's currently available in our store that's right if you want to go with alexander hamilton or if you want to go with john quincy adams or hey i'll tell you this if you want someone who is not on a shirt already and you send us a message and we get at least two of those i'll make one nice yeah and you if you have to promise to buy it but anyway basically it's kind of like make to order. But if you want one of the three we have already, you can head over to electioncollege.com slash store. And if you have one that you're like, I've got to have so-and-so on an ugly sweater, we'll make it happen for you. Yeah. You keep it clean, we'll make it nice. That's right. Should we make that like our slogan now or something? I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, Jason, I also, oh, by the way, electioncollege.com slash store, just in case you forgot in the 30 seconds since I said it last. I also really enjoy it when we have our listeners interact with us through twitter instagram and facebook it makes it all worthwhile when we get to hear you say you enjoyed something or if you say hey what you said on the podcast that was stupid here's what we really think <laughs> we don't like that as much but it's still good yeah and special thanks to all of you who gave us some tips about our trip to dc this week because we read your comments and we have taken heed Hey, you know what else would help us out a lot is if you head over to iTunes. I promise you that when you take the 90 seconds to leave us a star rating and a review, it helps get the word out about the podcast to more awesome people just like you. It used to be like 30 seconds, and then we started saying 60 seconds, and now it's 90 seconds. That just means we're expecting more of you the more and more we grow. Yeah, I mean, three sentences. Come on. Yeah. You can do it. Hey, thanks everybody for listening and we will talk to you on Thursday. 